is Dr. Diana Wiley, and I'm your host of Love, Lust, and Laughter. Uh, my I, my guest host today uh, is Dr. Mark Schoen, and Mark and I have known each other for, oh, I think over 30 years. Is that possible, Mark? We're both getting much older. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to believe we're so young. I know it. <laughs> But I was thinking it was in the, uh, we might have met around 1989. So that puts it at 33 years. Uh, anyway, uh, Mark is a dear friend and, and he's really helped me as a filmmaker uh, to, he helped me get the part of uh, one of the hosts for um, Sinclair Video. And uh, so those two volumes were created in 2006. And uh, it's called Great Sex for a Lifetime. And they're good sex ed videos. And it was targeted at baby boomers. So I, um, yeah, and, and I am officially a gerontologist. So, but Mark was really helpful in getting me in this niche area of senior sexuality. And um, I do thank you for that again, Mark. It was my pleasure. Dr. Mark Schoen is the founder of Sex Smart Films. This is an online resource for distributing all kinds of films, sexual health films, many other things, now over 600. And when you first started, you had a couple of hundred. You, you no, when I first started 11 years ago. 11 years I had, ago, I remember. I had 46 films. Okay. And today I have a little more than 650 yeah. Yeah. covering well, sex education, sex research, and sex therapy. And there are films yeah. from 52 different countries. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite comprehensive. It's, it's really wonderful. And, and um, you're, I really encourage the listeners to go to sexsmartfilms.com. And you can join. You can also see some films for free. I'm going to let Mark elaborate on that. But the um, website is broken into different areas. Education. And this is the uh, where he provides uh, films that give accurate information on a wide range of sexual and gender issues. And then there's a research section and the therapy section. It is so complete. And you'll learn a lot and you can tell, tell about the subscription thing and, um, and also where your films are seen because it's, you have a lot of students. Well, the, yeah. the film users vary from, you know, a typical user is someone who's been to a therapist and the therapist will prescribe a, a film. So they'll come to the site and do a pay-per-view. So the most common is one of the Sensate Focus films, which that exercise was created by Masters and Johnson. And a therapist will tell them to watch the first Sensate Focus exercise, which has to do with sexual anatomy and physiology. Because mo many people don't know about their own sexual anatomy. That's true. And they'll They'll pay 99 cents and watch this. I think it's an eight minute film. Then some people do monthly subscriptions where you do one month for $9.99, then three months for, I think, $29.99 and a year for $59.99, which gives you unlimited access to the 650 plus films. And a lot of the users are universities. A lot of them are just people who stumble upon the site on the internet. And then there are people who do self-help. You know, they'll look up a sexual issue and watch the film on their own. So there's a wide range of users. And you also provide, and I use, the little tablets that are the RX. So I can, as a therapist, I can bring out the, the notepad and say, this is, I want you to watch this Sensate Focus. I've got Sensate Focus in my book too, Love in the Time of Corona. It's a very common exercise for sex therapists to prescribe uh, because it, so many people are kind of stuck between the legs. 
that yes. there are all these other possibilities from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. And people need to get familiar with these. And um, I have to tell a quick story here. Um, right after my book was published and uh, Mark, you gave one of my most favorite blurbs that I quote a lot on the back cover. It says, Mark said, this is a year's worth of sex therapy in one volume. I so appreciate that blurb. <laughs> it's, it's, it's accurate too, so <laughs> appreciate it. Um, but uh, so Sensate Focus, um, I, we just, uh, so I have this 95 year old friend and he's still sexually active with his, his partner of many years. And he has um, lived internationally. He had quite the youth because his mother was very famous. And he's, he's a wonderful man. He's just a wonderful, dear, smart man, creative and everything. And so he got the book and, and he and his partner tried Sensei Focus, which I call stage one, two, three, and four. Um, and he said, I wished I'd known this earlier. Um, he said, it would have saved me a lot of pain in my youth. He said, I always thought I had to get genital stimulation directly, immediately um, to, to, have, to experience arousal. And he said, I was surprised how aroused I could feel with all this other touching. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. So it's, it's amazing, isn't it? That so, so many yeah. people live without fully understanding. And this is your, your sex smart films is such an amazing resource. So as a therapist, I can say, I want you to watch this and Sensate Focus. And there are other popular uh, uh, things for people to watch. Um, and um, can, can you tell, can you share a couple of the ones that are get a lot of hits from your- Well, you know, we audience. have a range. First, there's an age range. We have films for very young children, uh, one of which is the true story of how babies are made, which is based on a book written in Denmark in 1972. And it's a four minute animated film that sh literally shows the true story of how babies are made. It shows a couple and you see actual intercourse and it explains what's going on and it's geared for four to six year olds. Yes, and we it's have an, wonderful. We have another new film. It's called What's Gay? Asked May. And it's another animated film based on a children's book. And it explains what gay means to young children. And it says it's a way to love. And uh, so we have films for children. We have films for teens. We have films for older people. We have films for, that are geared toward couples. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, I have a collection of probably 250 commercials, condom commercials, all sorts of commercials that deal with sexual things from 52 countries. And it really gives you a sense of the cultural influences on sexuality. And I remember one of my first, I went to graduate school at NYU and they had a study abroad program. So I spent four months in Sweden. And I remember being pretty amazed that you saw a lot of nudity on Swedish television. And I was in a home of a Swedish family and they had a five-year-old child and the kid was watching television and I, no one thought anything of it. And I thought, hmm, what would happen if this was the United States? Ah, uh, indeed. Well, all of a sudden a show comes on where there's a very violent fight. The mother grabbed the five-year-old child, picked him up and put her hands over his eyes. She didn't want him to see violence. And I remember going to class the next morning and told my friend this story. And I said, in the United States, a kid can see someone's head get blown off yep. as long as he's wearing clothing. Exactly. It's so and, shocking, the cultural influences. 
Yes, that's a it, great example. And it it just just shows how different cultures approach sexuality differently. And keep in mind, country like Sweden has a national sex education curriculum where we might have an we have a national curriculum on math, science, and history. They have those, but they also have sex education. So children are learning about sexuality, and I observe this when they're in the first grade, they're five or six years old. So it gives, you know, education changes attitudes. And there, you know, where we in our culture, we're basically taught that sexuality is something you're not supposed to speak about. Think about it. What were the names you used for your genitals when you were a child? If you, and I remember once doing a college lecture, a virtual lecture, and there were about a hundred students in the lecture hall. And I asked them all to write down the names they used for male and female genitals as a child. Only two out of the hundred had the correct names. Most of them had euphemisms with things like private parts, but only two had penis and vulva. And if you had done that in a Swedish university, it would have been a different story. So we're not given the language to talk about it. We're we're getting a message that this is something we're not supposed to talk about. And it's really come to a head recently with, like in Florida, the legislatures passed the Don't Say Gay bill. Yes. And here, and here we have a bill. And it's it with its introduction, it's been used as a vehicle to marginalize and attack LGB, uh, LGBTQ people. And it sends a terrible message to our youth that there's something wrong with LGBTQ people. Yes. And, and what and a shocking difference. My new film, What's Gay? Asked May, has yeah. been entered into three film festivals in Florida. The first one is in, is in uh, six oh, days. It. It'll be really interesting to see what the response is there. Yes. When you, yeah. and, and you just won for that film. Uh, what's gay you won in the Toronto Film Festival isn't that yes right? we won the best animation in the Toronto Film Festival which and, was a real honor and then we need to talk about the transgender community and your film trans and I want the listening audience to know that in about 15 minutes one of my clients Corey is transitioning from male to female and she's going to tell us her own personal story. So stay tuned for that. Corey's uh, not talking right now because we're still kind of introducing the whole subject. But the transgender community, um, there are some 3 million people, even maybe more now in the transgender community. Mark? Y yes, yes. Yeah. More, I think. More, even more. <laughs> So you, you, besides trans, you also did Finding New Hope. And- Well, uh, Finding New Hope was, became trans. Oh, it became trans. Yeah. So, and, and it, it came out in 2011, is that right? Uh, 20, the end of 2012. The end of 2012. And I, I remember yeah. seeing it at one of our conferences and um, along with my husband, Brian, who usually goes to these conferences with me and he, we're both, we both like you personally so much, but this is a very sensitive film. And when we introduced Corey, she uh, uh, confided in me that um, she actually cried when she saw trans. So we'll hear her direct story. But it's, it, these people, the transgender community are already marginalized and the suicide rate is, what is it, 40 some odd percent? Do, 41. Do you know? There was a study of 6,000 transgender people online mm. and one of the questions was have you ever seriously contemplated or attempted suicide mm -hmm. 41 percent of those six thousand said yes 
And that's shocking. That uh, I, I think that, that population must have the highest suicide rate. Um, yes. In any. And group. when you think about it, when you think about the science, and for example, Harry Benjamin, who was an endocrinologist, who in 1966 wrote the book *The Transsexual Phenomenon*, he was basically saying. This isn't, you don't choose to be transgender. You're born this way. There's a biological component. And I remember showing the documentary Trans at the uh, University of Michigan. And after there was a Q&A and one of the transgender people in the film, Erica Fields, was there for the Q&A. And an undergraduate student got up and said, why did you choose to be this way? And you know what her response was? I'd love to hear it. <clears throat> I'll give you an exact quote. I memorized her response. Who the fuck would choose this? Oh, okay. That's that. That was her response. Uh huh. And, yeah. And if you look at the science, you know, you don't choose it. It's like you don't choose your hair color, your skin color. You don't choose your gender identity. So. Uh, I did. I watched a whole bunch of uh, in preparation for this. I watched some of these wonderful commercials, uh, but I also and I want to talk a little bit more about the commercials because they reflect the culture so much. But I did watch the Harry Benjamin film and it's it's fascinating. He lived a long time. He was born in 1885 and died in 1986. So he was 101 years old. Yes. And, and I attend I attended his memorial service and we filmed it and it was and you filmed it down to what 13 you edited it and down to 13 minutes something like that yes but i would like to make a longer film and i have all the footage but that's another yeah. story that's <laughs> that must take time too but you know people were saying um that he was most humane and he established the term gender dysphoria and he also said that that these, this is the most neglected minority. Yes. But he, this well, man was way well, ahead of his time. Yes. Yes. Before Harry Benjamin, if a transgender person went to a physician, they would refer him them to a psychologist mm. or a psychiatrist. So, you know, they, they thought something was wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And then... When Harry Benjamin wrote this book, The Transsexual Phenomenon, he was basically telling the medical community, you've got it wrong. You've got to change. And he told them why. He, he, he was, he was uh, truly a trailblazer, and he must have had remarkable insights and compassion to do, oh. this, to do this sort of work when nobody was doing it and there were all of these ideas about uh what transgender mean what it yes. meant yes he, he bucked the system so to speak uh-huh uh-huh yeah um just to, uh so we're going to hear from corey uh in about 10 minutes uh, to talk more about transsexuals but um and but i just um I will, let's circle back just a little bit to the commercials because there's, you have, what did you say? Two, 350, 350 different uh, commercials? I think 200, between 250 and 300. And, and so you suggested that I watch, and I did, Get Naked from Australia. This is a 200 and this is 2010 Super Bowl commercial. It's really fun. And, and then the clothing drive uh, from the U.S., uh, and it was a Bud Light commercial, also really fun and funny. And uh, and then you had the nudist from Norway, also hilarious. <laughs> and so these people were so comfortable in their bodies in the commercials. And yeah, just a completely different attitude. And my understanding, I've known this for years, is that the Scandinavian countries have the lowest unwanted teenage pregnancy rate in the world. Yes. They've got education, <laughs> sex education. 
Well, I remember being in Sweden and I was in a, the, it was a college town called Uppsala. Yes. And I grew up in New York City and I remember on the subways, there were these little vending machines where you could buy a stick of gum. Yeah. And in the middle of the street in this town, I saw that vending machine. I said, I'm going to get a piece of gum. Uh-huh. I went up to the vending machine. It did not have gum in it. It had condoms in the middle of the street in a small town. You could buy a condom. And I thought, wow, I would never see that in the United States. Never. We have such screwed up ideas. I suppose some of the um, original stuff came as a result of our heritage being from the Puritans. But, you know, if we look at this really conserve these really conservative attitudes and they're coming forth in all of these awful ways because, um, you know, now the conservatives have have them standing between children and their teachers and doctors. And I think it's really cold comfort to know that these acts of invasive cruelty will one day stand condemned by history and they will. Uh, So I think LGBTQ kids and their allies can only put their heads down and work for change and take, take the satisfaction that they may find that in the end, the social where social evolution is concerned, the conservatives have lost have lost the twentieth and the twenty first centuries. They're they're there coming up with all this crazy stuff. Yeah, and there are lots of examples of how education makes a difference. And I'll give you one personal one. I did a screening of the documentary Trans here in Washington D.C. Yes. And at the end, a couple come up to me with a little seven-year-old girl. And they came up to me like they knew me. And they said, hi, this is Eliana. She's in Oscar's class. And Oscar was my, is my grandson. Oh. And it, turns out, it turned out Eliana is transgender. And she's a biological boy, but goes to school dressed as yeah. a girl. And mm-hmm. they... The teachers are aware of it. The teachers spoke to the children. The children are aware of it. Anyway, the next time I saw Oscar, I said, hey, Oscar, uh, is a girl named Eliana in your class? And he said, yeah. Uh-huh. And I said, did you know she was transgender? And he goes, yeah. Uh-huh. Like what? He talked to me like, what's the big deal? What's the you big know? deal? And it just shows that when you learn about these things at an early age, you learn to accept them and understand them. Yeah, so. it's, uh, it's, yeah, learning at an early age and having uh, acceptance. And, and the sex education part of, of your sex smart films is so important because if, if kids don't have the right sex education, where do they end up? We talked about this before, Mark. Yeah. They end up they, on porn sites. And it, it sometimes yeah. as young as boys, as sometimes as young as, what, nine or 10? Well, that's Yeah, odd. well, there's, there's research okay. that says the average American sees porn on the internet by the time they're 10 or 11, and they are not going on the internet looking for adult films. They're looking for sexual information, but they end up on porn sites. Oh dear. What can we do? Oh. Start I mean, sex education at an earlier age, and then they won't be looking on the internet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And of course, sex education on the internet is just beyond awful. It teaches all the wrong things. You know, instead of uh we, we should be teaching that about pleasure with sex and that um, that touching each other and massaging each other is a wonderful thing to do to relax the body before you are sexual. And, and I think that teenagers need to not risk intercourse. And, and I, I remember talking with my daughter who was born in 1976 
And uh, when she was in high school and she and her friends came over and we talked about <laughs> mutual masturbation and they all giggled. And, and my, my, my policy was, you know, if you're involved, if you have a serious relationship, it's so much better to touch yourself, mutual masturbation with your partner, maybe even to orgasm ejaculation than it is to have penetrative sex. Uh, you risk pregnancy, you risk SD, STDs and so on. STIs, what are they calling them now? <laughs> so, um, yep. yeah. So yep. mutual masturbation is, but I was attempting to educate the kids and, the, and they appreciated it. And then my daughter went on to Georgetown University and they brought me there to give some more sex education. And the whole football team turned out. <laughs> there's a real, there's a real hunger for good oh, yeah. solid information. Absolutely. And I, you know, I don't understand these conservatives. Now Idaho apparently is coming up with a similar abortion rule to, to the others and uh, to Florida's and um, what's the other state, the Virginia or something? Texas. Texas, of course, Texas. These people, what they 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 cannot. They're they're only th they're pretty selfish. I think um, you know a lot of them are have almost a reflexive terror of anything that does not fit inside the white picket fence of their imaginations. You know. Yes. And they look back. They look they look toward an imagined better past, but backward toward that past, but. They, they have an inability to face the future or heck to face the present. I, I just, this is, this is such restricted feeling of uh, added. These are restrictive attitudes for sure. Um, I think it's a, be a good time to introduce Corey and uh, uh, Rodney. Are you listening? Cause you can unmute Corey now. Um, Progressive radio network has, uh, I have to wait for, Corey to be unmuted. Maybe Corey can do it herself. Um, there. Hello, Corey. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you. Corey, Hi, Corey. Is, Corey is my client, and she has been transitioning from male to female. And um, I just am very impressed with Corey because Corey has done a lot of personal work, a lot of reading. Tell us a little bit about your, your particular story, Corey. Um, how, when did your transition start, but what preceded that? So I'm, I'm 39 years old, and I think that's important to say, because mm -hmm. I started my transition a month before my 39th birthday, which mm -hmm. was in September of last year. Yeah. I've, been, I've been transitioning for about six months, and I actually just got rid of all of my previous gender clothes. But in coming to this point, I had to shed a lot to get here. So I'm the first grandchild of my family. I'm the biggest kid uh, at school. I was, when I grew up, I was very much put in a path of sports. Um, I have ADHD, uh, complex post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and depression. Uh, my gender dysphoria is not as extreme as others, but it still exists. Anyway, the idea that I was needed to do activity growing up stemmed from ADHD. So I was, I grew fast. I've been a large person my whole life. Um, and so I was always seeking acceptance, but nothing quite fit right. So I came up with like little tropes, like, oh, if it doesn't fit, make it just, you know, the door doesn't work for you. Just break it like, boom, because I was big enough to like break a door and so on. So I, ma I made the world fit for me when I was young. I found the fun, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, that would manifest as like playing role playing games, uh, D&D video games, anything top down where I could make a society that would be ideal and accepting to like my ideas. Uh, that's the type of stuff I would play. And then because a lot of those games are with other people, I learned quickly that 
my way of doing things wasn't commonly accepted. What can you give us an example of that, Corey? What, uh, just your way of doing something that was not accepted. I mean, I know some of this, but I'd like you to share with our listening audience. So back when I was much, much younger, I wanted to be more like housewifey, take care of my friends, make sure they were all clothed right, make sure they had all their food, everything like that. But I was taught by my family that, you know, boys don't do this. You have, you know, if you show emotion in such a way, you're inviting people to manipulate and use you. And so it was taught, I was conditioned to equate like doing feminine things with being manipulated and being, being able to be taken advantage of. And I had to harden myself against those things is what I learned as a child. And, and meantime, uh, your family, you, you grew up in a farm family. They, they are from the Midwest and they were uh, dairy farmers that became, that moved out to Washington. Uh-huh. Um, and they, they are very much that, that Midwestern mentality of everyone has, has to have a dual use. So you have to work on the farm. You have to do these things. There's always a use-based function or transaction, as I call it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't adhere to the desired transaction, so say, for example, my dad wanted me to be an all-star football player. If I get hit by a car, that's an, a good exception for me to not do that. But I better be able to provide for my family and be successful business owner in every other way, or then I'm some sort of cast out failure. If I'm different, like gay or trans or anything of that nature, then I have to be as sure as a human can be in order to stand against the wave of judgment that will come. How poetically, but poignantly you put it. Wow. So exactly as trans said, uh, there's no one would fucking choose this. Like I have to be beyond sure. Like you cannot shake my identity. I might not sound like the most feminine person. I might not look the most feminine, but what you see is your perception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will I will do my best to help accommodate your perception so it matches mine, mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna do something that's harmful to me for you, for anyone. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know another way. Uh, until I was about 23-ish, and I had my first boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, it's a little bit different. So I had this whole guy group of uh, people who believed in the totem pole of masculinity, and the alpha male was on top, and like you had to be an emotionless, like not violent, but the threat of violence was always present, but not like... It's two steps away. That's what we say. You have to insult me and touch me and then violence can happen is what they, the, the rules were. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I don't like that. I don't like hurting people, which is why football didn't really work out. Yeah. Um, and I, but because of football, I was 360 pounds at 19 years old. Wow. So I had a lot of messed upness in my mind. And I made my first adult friend uh, out of high school and they were not straight. And I was like, they were everything I wanted to be at that time. And so I followed this person, uh, not followed, but we played D&D together. And they encouraged me to play not male characters or gay characters or like play with that intangible part of the game. The one that isn't quantified into numbers. So like your sexuality, your political views, your, uh, how you feel about, you know, other people and other races in the game. Uh, it's all stuff you have to make up. And that was like a door opening in my mind being like, why don't I do this in my day-to-day life? Why don't I self-analyze how I feel and how my beliefs and how these things I was taught, why don't I do that? Like I do in this game. And I did. And what I found out was shocking. And so 
I uh, got a boyfriend and it was amazing and awesome. And I loved being chased and I loved like the gifts and everything. And something was wrong. Something was off. So when sex happened, when we were mutually masturbating or having oral sex, it felt not right to me. And I thought that it was because I was straight at the time. But I've never really liked oral sex with anyone. Uh, I like providing, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason why was because I, at the time, I felt a detachment with my body in that way. And so that was the first schism, like first actual knowledgeable moment where I was like, I'm going to push these feelings that are clearly not there. I'm going to push this tiny thought into a box. And that was the first time I put it in a box. So, um, Mark, do you have any questions for Corey? Well, one of the first questions I wanted to ask was, what was the, when, how old were you the first time you questioned your gender identity? Uh, when I had to go to elementary school and we got separated into groups. I didn't understand why there was a separation in groups. Uh-huh. Like I didn't yeah. get, I didn't get why girls went over there and boys went over here. And you know what I think is interesting and, you know, having made documentaries about gender identity, I've spoken to lots and lots of people and they say the same thing as Corey. They knew as a young child. And the most fascinating story is my friend is a Dr. McGinn, the surgeon who does gender confirmation surgery. Yes, and this is such a fascinating story in and of itself, but go on, Mark. Well, she told me that a 95-year-old biological man came to her and said he wanted to transition to be a female. And she said, you're 95. And he said, he always knew he was transgender, but as a young person, he married a woman and he loved her very much. And he said he never wanted to do anything to hurt her. So he didn't come out as transgender until she passed away. And he said to her, I want to die my authentic self. So this person had a vaginoplasty at the age of 95, which I thought was pretty amazing. So. Very amazing. And, uh, and Corey, you use that term that you want to find your authentic self. Well, you have found your authentic self, but you want to live your authentic self. Yeah. So uh, like, Obviously, I put on a mask when I was young, and and a lot of my friends at the time kind of forced that mask on me. And uh, when I decided that I wasn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I the first person I came out to was my partner, and they were like immediately super, very much supportive, and like that was the biggest relief. And how old were you then? Uh, that was uh, when I was 36. Okay. You're and a you're a late bloomer, Corey. A little a little bit. It, well, well, not it. The blooming is relative. Yes. Yes. You know there there are people who die and never bloom. Yeah. So, but and I, then you have this 95 year old who I spoke about. So there's quite a range. It, there is. And I like, I, I didn't know. And so what I wished for the longest time was that I had a friend who was trans who could hold my hand. And I, I got that, unfortunately, and it became poison. And the person uh, worked against me for uh, many years. And so uh, it was someone I trusted very much and who I fell in love with at a very young age. And I didn't reflect on it effectively. But yeah, what I mean is society wants us to be stereotypes, right? And we want to fit into our cog, into the machine. And being your authentic self is going to 
is going to run over other people's idea of you. And by people hang on to the idea of you they can control. And your authentic self is not that idea. Well, you know that expression from Oscar Wilde. <laughs> yes, I do. You've got to be your you've got to be yourself because everyone else is taken. Is mm-hmm. already taken. Everybody else is already taken. I think it's a great quote. And uh, my daughter bought me a refrigerator magnet because <laughs> in, in the early 70s, I was a showgirl wearing only glitter on my nipples. And this was a great departure for me to do this. <laughs> it was a really high end show in Miami Beach. Anyway, uh-huh. the, the, on, this, on the magnet on the refrigerator, it shows this showgirl from the 1920s with the Oscar Wilde quote, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. It's really good advice, be yourself. Yep, and you learn, you learn more when you, so for a long time, I, I, I just did what other people said I should do. So a lot of one of the, the same friend that I wished was the same person who became trans was the person who impacted me the most. And they, uh, I could not believe how anti they were. I, I, I just didn't understand it. And all of my previous friends, like my, my male totem pole, alpha male people who I thought were going to be like this great support network because you're friends with someone for 20 years and you see them grow and change and become parents and fathers and have these relationships. And you're like, yeah, you're tolerant. You, you can do this. Hey, I've, I'm trans and I feel comfortable now that I've seen Violet make this path and I can make it. Like, I, I think I can do it. You're a gender traitor. You've, you've, you've abandoned the guys club. You're just going to manipulate us. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how fast they abandoned me. Uh, Mark, have, have you heard that term? Mark, have you heard that term gender traitor? Gender what? Traitor. Yeah, I have heard it, but I not a lot. Yeah. So, Corey, you experienced it and it was very painful. And it added to your anger. And you, you have told me that your road rage was huge at one point. Uh, and so my coping mechanism for whenever I felt outside of my gender or felt angry that things didn't go a certain way i'm sorry i felt any negative emotion as to something didn't go my way Mm -hmm. uh i was taught to funnel it into anger and make it and make use of it in some physical way which is what you're taught as a boy so i didn't have a coping mechanism other than anger so i have to be very apparent of when things make me mad because it can spiral very quickly and yes uh the totem pole and my friends and all of that does make me very angry, but I work with it. I go to therapy and it's just now I have a greater spectrum, a greater depth and breadth of, of feelings, I guess, not feelings that weren't there, but I have access to them like I didn't before, or I feel whole like I wasn't before. What a relief. What a relief, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've made some- a lot, a lot of progress that unfortunately there are a lot of people who never get to the place you're at. It's, it's very heartbreaking. I, I try to stay as up to date on stuff as I can. So like in England, it's very difficult for people to get any support in uh, Texas. Trans kids are being oh. overly burdened. Idaho, yeah. uh, the Idaho bill you're talking about. If you're a trans kid and you try to leave Idaho, they consider it a felony. What? Yep. Oh, what have, what's happening to our United States of America? Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. They're making things like gender identity and sexual orientation political things when they have nothing to do with politics. Nope. It's, I want to be a farmer. I want to make I want to make a holistic farm that regenerates the earth. That doesn't have any political side. It doesn't have a gender yeah. identity. I want to yeah. help. I want to help people. That's and great. and and you can and you also have worked in the tech industry, so you can bring your technical knowledge to farming. And I, ideally, I mean, yeah. it, it's all a long, long road. That's one like right now. It's very one step at a time for a lot of us. Um, 
it's hard to get by in in general in Seattle. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so Corey, um, you uh, have seen uh, the Mark's film Trans, and it touched you. You you told me it made you cry. And uh, do you remember what parts were especially emotional for you? Uh, yeah, there was the the trans individual who moved out of their house and was basically isolated from all of their communities, and they ended up tragically committing suicide. Yes, that that was brutal. It it okay. was such a hard thing to film, especially when we went to the community where the person's name was where Chloe lived and interviewed her friends. And what I remember, one of the things that I, I don't think is in the film is that Chloe would dress as a female when she was with her friends. And then someone would say, let's go out and get some pizza. Chloe would run upstairs, change back into male clothing and go out for pizza with them. So she, she was scared and and had and the thing that was most disturbing is she had a supportive family so she was just afraid of how society would treat her so yeah and those fears are valid um i literally lost every person except all the people i made around the time I came out, all the new friends I made, like there's one person who made the, the transition really well, who I am very appreciative of, but all but like maybe five people. And I've never met four of them in real life. Um, every single one of them said that I was manipulating something or trying to do something. And it's incredibly hurtful because I feel the way I feel and I want to be accepted in my community. And I just have never had that. And it's very hard. Yeah. And the question I keep asking is what can we as a society do to make, to put a stop to this, to make people accept people the way they are? Well, you educate them and you're doing that, Mark. And I'm doing that too through. But we, yes, we're doing it. We're doing but, it, but lots but of people are. we're doing are. it on a small scale. If exactly. every child in elementary school were taught about sexual orientation and gender identity and people who were, you know, a a sexual minority or a gender minority be comfortable coming out, it would be a different world. You know, why should someone have anxiety about their gender identity or about their sexual orientation? And the reason is because people have learned to hate at an early age. And it's, you know, you're not born hating. You have to learn it. And we could teach people to accept and love people who are different than themselves. You, you say it very well. I'm remembering, a, you know, South Pacific was the musical, <laughs> one of my favorites. And uh, there was a song in South Pacific and it was all about, you have to learn, it was learn, you have to learn how to hate. Uh -huh. And, uh, and Oscar Hammerstein and, and I mean, they wrote this in 1953 and there were a lot of really good messages aside from great music. I'm, <laughs> I really love South Pacific. <laughs> But but it, it's that song. It's a very poignant song. You have to learn how to hate. Yes. And unfortunately, people learn very well. Mm -hmm. um, Mark, did you have um, 
when you so you were you were uh, talking to lots of lots of people to do these documentaries, lots of uh, trans people, um, and obviously this the scene that you had to shoot with Chloe and she later committed suicide that was very hard. Were there were there any uplifting in your or hopeful really hopeful as we come to the toward the end of the show uh, some hopeful outcomes messages i mean i have lots of hope for corey i think she's really on the right track it's not going to be easy but do you have any yeah you know i i think the people who were able to talk to their families and their families were supportive they had a relatively easier time those who had who had to keep it a secret from the the people they love the most their families mm-hmm. had the most difficult times so i think educating people and i'll never forget one i was in new hope pennsylvania where dr mcginn does her surgery Yes. And she has a she has a bed and breakfast for her patients. And she gave me a room in the bed and breakfast. And I came down for breakfast one morning and a woman came up to me and said, are you Mark? And I said, yes. And she hugged me. And I looked at her like, who are you? Yeah. yeah. And she said, my daughter had surgery yesterday when she first told me she was transgender. I was not supportive. I was a little abusive. And she said, and then one of my friends gave me your documentary and I watched it. And here I am supporting her during her surgery. So I thought, you know, a story like that made the producing of this documentary all worthwhile, you know, changing lives. So. Absolutely. That's a very touching story. And, and when you can impact lives like you do, I mean, this is, this gives our, our lives meaning, you know, when, and I feel like I do that too. And it's one reason I don't want to retire because um, I just find this work so deeply satisfying when people really do make changes and you know change is change is always hard and especially when you're talking about your your you know your sexual uh change and um and so i think there's a book out that's just out i haven't looked at but i read about it it's um by um she's from canada an artist she's a male to female And she wrote a book called People Change, and it explores the motivations, fears, and lessons of Mm self-evolution. And she says, you know, the desire for change comes from a curiosity and an openness. And curiosity is a beautiful thing, even if you don't know what it means, it can open a new world for you. And of course, that's also true for successful aging, to remain curious. Curiosity is, is a wonderful thing and, and to, to find answers and to find people that will support you. And Corey, back to you. you. You haven't had, I mean, Mark says that people who do better, they've told their families and their families end up being supportive and it's an easier time with transitioning. You didn't get that. Not, not so much. Not um, so much. My, my, when I came out to my family, it was... I was telling them what was going on and then uh, I was emotional at the time. And I also told something else about other family members that I wasn't supposed to probably they were secrets. And uh, yeah. So I said some stuff that, (sighs) sorry, I have said that I'll name my abusers. So I told my grandmother that, uh, about the traumas that I had as a child from growing up and her response was not good. And so grandmother, oh, how hurtful. Usually grandmas are wise and accepting. 
I'm, I, she is a, an amazing, amazing person who's lived through a lot. And, uh, what she was going through at the time was intense. And I understand that people say things they sometimes don't mean. And, but I am not ready to go back to that at all. And they have made no attempt to contact me. So I, communication is two ways. Yes. Communication is two ways. And, and Mark, you probably, in your work, you've encountered other stories like this where the trans person is um, totally estranged from the family. And, and oh, that's, yes, yes. Can, can you say a little bit more about that? We're coming toward the end of the program, but say a little bit about that, Mark, what you've well, heard. One thing I remember, I did a screening of trans at Gallaudet University here in Washington, D.C., which is a school it's a university for deaf people. Oh. And the film was shown with closed captions. And there was a Q&A at the end. And they would sign their questions. And someone would say them out loud. And one deaf person who was transgender came up and said, thank you for showing this film. I only wish my mother could have seen it. Yeah. And I picked up a DVD and I walked over to this trans person and handed him a DVD. And in front of the whole audience, he hugged me (laughs) and said, thank you. And, you know, so, you know, these are little things, but hopefully they make a difference and, you know, can help connect people to their families. Well, this is um, this has been an important conversation that we're having today, uh, this evening for you, Mark, and for Rodney at, back in New York, for you in New- Washington, D.C. Uh, the more we talk about these sorts of things and the better it'll be because education is powerful. And it can make all the difference. Corey, you, you've been very uh, open and uh, about your own journey. And it's going to go on, of course. And, um, and now you're seeing the world differently. And hopefully you'll get more support as you continue to go. How has this been for you today, Corey, to be on the program expressing your own uh journey it, it's, about it. it's been great uh it's actually super amazing because one of the things i struggle with is abandonment issues and feeling wanted and and being and having that expressed and so being a part of something that actually wants me there is really really validating oh good well well thank you for saying that Corey. i think it's important for for you, for me, and for the listening audience that people understand this and make this world a better place. Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Dr. Mark Schoen. Um, You do such good work and you're such a great person. And And I'm so glad we're friends. And, 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 and the feeling is mutual. Thank you. Thank you. And Corey, I, so thank you, Mark, for, for being my guest today and, and telling us about Sex Smart Films. Listening audience, please go to Sex Smart Films. You will not regret it. You're going you're gonna to get all kinds of education there. And it's fun. It's entertaining at times as well as informative. Wouldn't you say, and- Mark? Yes. Yes. Please come and visit. Also, Trans is on Sex Smart Films, and Trans is also on Amazon Prime. So. Oh, and I looked that up, and you have some 750 reviews, and most of them are really very positive. Yes, some of the reviews bring tears to my eyes. Oh, there's the music. All right. Need to sign off. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. 
Diana. Thank you, Dr. Diana. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.